there. I hope you think that. Two chapters this evening. I heard someone uh, describe this in the summer when they were at a conference saying, reading a larger chunk, and he said, do you know what? I'm not going to apologize for a large section of scripture to be read. I thought, yeah, true. If we can't read it in church, we're in a desperate, desperate times. And I hope that in following it, uh, it helps you keep focus or turn uh, your device on or be really retro and open the paper version. Isaiah 26, still the words of eternal life. The prophet sings. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil. And do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you establish peace for us and all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Lord our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us. But your name alone do we honor. They're now dead. They live no more. As spirits didn't rise, you punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. You have enlarged the nation, Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You have gained glory for yourself. You have extended all the borders of the land. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you disciplined them, they could barely whisper a prayer. As a pregnant woman about to give birth rides and cries out in her pain, so we were, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. What a great word picture that is. If you missed it, reread it. It's a bit like an episode from The Young Ones. Anyway, but (laughs) your dead will live, Lord. The bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Go, my people. Enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood shed on it. The earth will conceal its slain no more. In that day, 
the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan the gliding serpent, Leviathan the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. In that day, sing about the fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. Or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and will fill all the world with fruit. Has the Lord struck her? Has he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as those were killed who killed her? By warfare and exile, you contend with her. With his fierce blast, he drives her out. As on a day, the east wind blows. By this, then, will Jacob's guilt be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the altar stones be like limestone crushed to pieces, no Asherah poles or incense altars will be left standing. The fortified city stands desolate. An abandoned settlement, forsaken like the wilderness. They, there like calves graze, they lie down. They strip its branches bare. When its twigs are dry, they're broken off. Women come and make fires with them, for this is a people without understanding. So their maker has no compassion on them, and their creator shows them no favor. In that day, the Lord will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who are exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Father, through your word that spoke to the time and speaks in these times, Bring clarity and insight and application, relevance, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, I, uh, it's the time of year that our students have gone away, and uh, particularly those first-timers. I was, I was reflecting on it, talking with uh, one of the students who was going off for the first time, and I was... I'm sure there's not much new under the sun, so I was reflecting on my own time when I went to university as an 18-year-old, which is about 10 years ago, something like that, and uh, I was thinking back to those times, and I was saying there are, there are some opening questions that are always asked. Do you know what those are? What's your name? What course are you doing? Do you know what the third question that was always asked is? Where are you from? Where are you from? Uh, and I was really, really delighted to say Sheffield. Hey. And it didn't take people long if I didn't ask that question to realize I was, a, I was northern because I used to say I was, a, I was at Newcastle. Not Newcastle, as a lot of people uh, would say. Place has a big bearing. Where are you from? It's amazing, isn't it, how where we grew up matters. The place that we... Uh, we call home, or, or still is home. Whenever I'm in India, um, even people that have been born in the city of Hyderabad or the city that I visited, I say, where are you from? And they always point and tell me about a village somewhere. 
Even though they weren't born there, even though that, that's not the way they've been to school, that's not where they've put down roots, they'd still say, that's my place of origin. Where are we from? Where is it for you? It's amazing how rivalries set up, isn't it? Uh, if I was, uh, Zach's on his phone, he's checking the football scores, I'm sure, just now, because uh, he likes to do that. But who's playing? Did Chelsea win this weekend, Zach? Yesterday, did they win? 1-1. One, one. Who are they playing? You see, there's a bit of a rivalry. Chelsea v Liverpool. I mean, football teams kind of, uh, kind of base around it. If you've got a, a derby, I remember growing up in Sheffield, told you that. And if it was a Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United match, it was a big thing. Or a Man City, Man U thing. I can see you're not a footballing uh, congregation this evening. If Phil was here, he'd be right in it. The, say again? I'm not, I'm not done a sports clanger. I'm, I always am on thin ice when I go down a sports street, I tell you. Uh, it's amazing how a place affects our identity. And particularly if you ever talk to someone who has been uh, displaced, who's had to be an, uh, a refugee, who has had to flee, and uh, whether a political refugee or for another reason, that they are no longer able to be rooted in their home culture. It's a huge wrench. It's a dislocation. It's, it's a sense of alienation or of unbelonging. Place matters. In the song of Isaiah, the song of praise, it's, it's not kind of like worship songs we sing. I mean, we haven't got pregnant women writhing and giving in birth, and they writhed and it came out like a giant <laughs> fart, basically. I mean, Hebrew is pretty blunt. I mean, you know, I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's in Isaiah 26. It's not like a song of praise we would sing, but... In and amongst it, in all that Isaiah has spoken of up to this point, judgment against the nations, calling people back to their one true love, he very much sings, rooted and woven through these two chapters, is a really big sense of place, particularly Jerusalem. The city, Jerusalem, matters. That the prophet has brought these oracles again and again against the city and said that Jerusalem, the place that, that David chose, the place that I've established my temple, the place that I have my name and honor will be known in, has become unfaithful. Jerusalem, the city, will be judged. Jerusalem will be overtaken as part of the judgment. Jerusalem, my dear city, will fall and be trampled underfoot. And that's a huge shock for our Jewish uh, kind of relatives. And, and still, Jerusalem plays such a, such a key place in their national identity. Place matters. Still does. If we said, uh, you know, the, the rival between Paris and London, you have to remember when the 2012 Olympics was announced. Were you on that moment when they had that extremely long pause of where the 2012 Olympics were going to be played and it was between Paris and London? And it was the best kind of like, it was, eat your heart out. Um, oh, what's that guy off X Factor? Uh, Simon Cowell, you know, the pause, waiting for that announcement. And they, and they, they announced London. There were cheers and jubilations because of the rivalry between London and Paris. You remember that? Not really with me this evening, are you? <laughs> Even locally, the rivalry between Chip and Camden Broadway is there, isn't it? There's a bit like, oh, you know. There is, believe it or not. There you go. 
place has a great deal to do with how we live. So here's a little bit of a, of a quiz. Let me see if I'll move from sport to music. How's that? Yeah. So I've, I've got some there. I was looking on the internet, the source of all uh, trivia and uh, helpful information when you can't think of any yourself. Uh, I, just, I googled in songs with city titles. And there's an awful lot of them. So I'm going to give you either the artist or a title and you have to fill in the gaps. Come on, work with me on this one. Is this the way to Amarillo? Do you know, I had such a fun time the other, uh, back in early in the year. I was, on, I was in northern Texas and I was driving to see a friend and Amarillo was on the road. And every few miles I passed a sign saying Amarillo, 100 kilometers or whatever it was. And I, I found it on my, uh, my phone, the song, and I was playing it all the way. Is this the way to Amarillo? I was going, yes, it is. It gave me hours of delight, I tell you. So, <laughs> I'm a saddie, yes, I know. Uh, song by The Clash. Oh, London. Not quite. It's Clash, London's Calling. There we are. Thank you very much. What about, uh, it's an album title, but also a song title by David Gray. Babylon. Babylon. There we are. We know to have on our music round teams. Um, Frank Sinatra sings about this. Sorry? It's actually New York, New York, just to be a stickler. It's double, you know, you have to repeat it. Anyway, we won't sing it. And uh, Mark Cohen walking in Memphis. It's amazing as you look. If you want to go back later and Google this, you'll be amazed at how many cities feature in song titles. Place matters. For Isaiah, as he sings, Isaiah, as he speaks, indeed, one commentator, a chap called Walter Brueggemann, makes the point that in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw, Jerusalem, the city, Jerusalem that the kings were located, all the way to chapter 26, to the vision of new Jerusalem. The vision and the hope that Isaiah contrasts between this place and the political intrigue and, the, uh, and this location where uh, rulers would come and go and people had forgotten God and, and set up false worship and, and the judgment that, that Isaiah is called to announce with deep grief, as we heard last time, but also counterbalancing that, undergirding it, weaving its way through that story of God saying, I will not contend with the sinful city anymore to chapter 66, verses 19 to 24 of the vision of the new Jerusalem, God's dwelling with people, with his people again. Let me just turn there for a moment. Isaiah 66. Verses 19. To 24. I will set a sign among them and they'll send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to Libyans, to Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece and the distant islands. They've not seen of my, heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. They will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering 
to the Lord, and they'll come on all sorts of creatures. And the new heavens and the new earth that I will make will endure before me for all mankind. Place matters. As Isaiah sings, he sings a love song. And it's a, he's appealing to us to commit our lives to building it. To strengthen the wall, to, 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 to build with strength, to focus on the walls and the ramparts and the gates. Mind you, he's not saying all of us relocate to Israel and become stonemasons and work on the city boundaries. But he is saying this new Jerusalem, this, this one that is greater than this current city, this one, this city that will be judged, a new dwelling place for God, a new city which will be glorious and untainted. This city, 25, uh, verse 6 to 8, is a reminder. This city on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. Remember the death shroud. He will remove disgrace forever. Other cities will be destroyed, but he will bring back a remnant. Isaiah envisions place. And calls prophetically for the people of God to seek peace. To seek the promise that is in God. Chapter 26 verse 4. Uh, the, the NIV modern translation kind of misses one of those uh, famous phrases from older versions. It talks about uh, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord himself, the rock, eternal rock of ages. That famous hymn, cleft for me, a reference back into the Torah, but, but also one of the names of God, the rock, eternal upon him, we shall be built. 26, 7 uh, to 9, commit to waiting patiently. It's amazing. He says, we wait for you, verse 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. In an instant culture, waiting is tough. But we're called to commit to waiting patiently for God's plan to be accomplished. Isaiah prophesies and sings. In the face of all the tragedy that he's noticing, he sings and says, it shall be. Waiting for God's timing. Not just rushing on to activity. Waiting for God's character to be formed in us. We serve the right one, the upright one. He says that in this waiting, it isn't just about outward show, but waiting faithfully before the Lord that the world will never notice. 26 um, verse 8, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Subjecting our own desires to his renown. Verse 8, your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. How do we build this new city? We focus on the Lord. We, we focus on his purposes and plans above our own desires of our heart. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Not many people see us in the dead of night and in the first thing in the morning. But in the waiting patiently, in the looking forward, 
in the preparation, in that daily waiting, but also in the daily frustration. Verse 18, I've mentioned it slightly humorously in passing, but there's a sense of frustration here. Verse 18, we were with child, we writhed in labor, but gave birth to wind. We've not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. That deep sense of frustration in the people of God, in Isaiah, of saying, we've longed for you, we've contended for you, we've held out hope for you, we've, we've followed your ways, and it's like, it's come to nothing. The fruit that we hope to be born isn't. It's important that we keep on contending. I remember Guy Chevreau came and talked uh, with us a number of years back, and he, he told a very telling story about uh, some work he'd done in Wales. And he went one year, and they were, uh, they were, they'd committed in this region in Wales, a big region, um, to pray for the Lord to work, to pray for revival, to pray God's kingdom come. And they were, they were zealous for it. And they, they used modern technology. And they said they, they, they used a website. They were good at this. And they, the people, when they were praying, would clock and, and register the hours that they prayed for. And they, Guy came back a year later and uh, he was preaching in the same congregation. And the, and the tone was so different. Rather than being expectant and buoyed up, they were flat. And spiritually depressed. And he said, what's happened? That's G who was so ready and up for it and praying and looking, contending for all that God would do. They said, well, we prayed for a year and we logged these hours and we had a million hours of prayer. And nothing's changed. What's the point? Guy in his wise words and I said, if we see prayer as a spiritual slot machine, we will be disappointed. If we see that the amount of effort we put in, it's like fasting a spiritual hun- hunger strike. You know, if we, we're doing it to twist God's arm, and if, was, if we're zealous enough, it will happen, fate complete. But Isaiah touches on something that we all face. I was pray- preaching this morning, wasn't I, about witnessing and inviting friends, and, uh, and I talked to someone on the door, and they said, oh, I've just, I keep asking, and they keep saying no, and should I just keep, keep at it, or it's so demoralizing. The prayer that you've contended to pray, and asking God again, and again, and again, Lord, would you do this? Would you heal me? Would you save this loved one? Would you work in our nation? Would you work in this particular people group? It seems that waiting and sometimes be beyond us. But Isaiah has, has a key to helping us through this. Don't just look at the outcome. Look to the Lord. Trust in him and his timing. The Lord will do it. One of the best things about the prophetic word that he brought is the reminder we can look back with hindsight and see it has come to pass. To be confident that the Lord, what the Lord says shall be. In the song, he recaps and says that God will judge sinners sternly because he loves them and knows that just to continue to pour out blessing and nonstop prosperity will mean that people forget him and fail to recognize his goodness. 
He reminds in in 26 verse 15 that he will enlarge this city and it will be for all peoples. I love that. The clarion call of Isaiah. People say, where's this thing of Jesus saying, go to all nations and the gospel is for the Gentiles? Well, read Isaiah. We heard it right at the end of, of chapter 27. He said, even the people from Egypt and Assyria will be gathered and they will worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Undoubtedly, the good news of God is for all peoples, even those perceived to be his enemies. He has a heart and a longing for. 26 verses 16 to 19. The reminder that self-activity, self-confidence. Lord, they came to you in their distress. When you uh, discipline them, they could barely whisper a prayer. And goes on. That reminder that if, if we do it in our own strength, we shall become disappointed. Wait upon him. The Lord's timing is vital. Chapters 20, uh, verses 20 to 20, chapter 26, 20 to 27, 1. Trust in him. The Lord's timing is perfect. Commit our ways to him. Isaiah preaches and reminds them As they dwell in the city, the city that God had chosen, this place of confidence, place matters. But you see, the thing about Isaiah, in using this prophetic word about the city and the judgment that is coming, but reminding them about place, about the city, the new Jerusalem, and the scope and the breadth of the city will be much, much more. He challenges us about our place. You see, when I ask you, where are you from? It's, an, it's not a trick question. But the spiritual sages and the divines would say, our answer now is a different place than where we were born. It's about the destiny to which we are called. The answer to the question isn't just, well, I'm from Sheffield. But my dwelling place is now in God. My home is now in him. Uh, We know we're on a journey, pilgrim on this way, sojourners in this land, that there's a journey and a race and destination, a goal to reach. But the prophecy that Isaiah speaks says, God is building a new thing, a new place, a dwelling that will be with mankind through Jesus Christ. To labor and strive and pray and walk in his ways towards that place. I heard a really interesting story, and I close with that as a reminder for us. The place is important, that we are pilgrims, journeys from where we are now into the dwelling of place of God. It's in America, and uh, it was kind of near where I studied uh, in, um, uh, in Kansas City. It was in the days of the Wild West. By that There was the frontier, the edge of civilization in the West was the great beyond, the great unknown, the great unexplored, and the land of opportunity, and the land of challenge. And if you've ever been watching these uh, cowboy and western films, um, you'll know that those kind of, what are they called, the um, wagons, that's the word, you know, when they get attacked, they circle the wagons, they would journey off into the great west, into the sunset, 
for their new future, the vast plains of the prairies. And they would leave on the Santa Fe Trail. And it started near Missouri and would head out on the Santa Fe Trail. And it came to pass that, and this is the fascinating thing, they would, they would leave Missouri, they would leave uh, the, the, um, their last stop of civilization, if we could call it that, out into the island, called out to a new place. And about a day's journey, about 20 miles from Independence in Missouri, on the Blue River, on the first night's camp by the river, a small community formed, and it was called Blue Camp 20, because it was by the Blue River, and it was meant to be a camp, and it was 20 miles from Independence, Missouri. A natural place to stop overnight, the first day of the great journey to the new place and the new destiny and the new belonging. And do you know what happened? The camp turned into a city. That there were some on the journey who did a day's journey and kind of thought, oh, this wagon's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Maybe we'd just stay at this camp more than a day. It's a nice place by this river. And there's more people coming and we can put down roots and we can make money and we can settle for the here and the now. And they forgot the dream and the place to which they were called. And so Blue Camp 20 began to outweigh the settlers' desire to journey onwards into what they knew was a greater life. A small metaphor. In our journey, in this moment of communion, of worship, of remembering, place matters. We all have an identity, of course. We all have an identity that's been formed by so many ways. Our parents and our friends and our place. And place matters. But this meal is a reminder that we begin a new journey. This meal is about a new destiny. This meal is about Jesus who came into the old Jerusalem and fulfilled all of the Old Testament, all of the promises of Messiah, all of the hope, and fulfilled all the judgment of God, that judgment would come upon him in order to set us free. This meal is about tomorrow. I won't eat of this bread and this wine until I eat it again in the coming kingdom. It's a reminder for us as sisters and brothers to say we have a new place. We're seated in the heavenly realms with God. That our destiny is one of hopefulness and waiting and watching and recognizing that a day will come soon until the Lord comes again. One of those liturgical phrases we use. We eat and drink this bread until uh, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It's about the reminder of destiny, of destination. Of that day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more sickness and death. And the dwelling of God will once again be with us. I go and prepare a place for you.
Pray we'd heed the words of Isaiah to contend and labor and look to him and worship him and trust in him in his timing. And remember that he is working out his purpose of gathering people, of not stopping, getting up and moving on in the destination he calls us to, of not saying here is sufficiently far. I'll just put down roots here now. Because anywhere that we do that, we are denying our settlement and our calling and our destination in him. Let's pray together.